You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at harvestoakville.ca. Welcome um, to our ministry year, a launch. As many of you here right now, there's, I think overflow is overflowing and some in the lobby as well too. Let me just say as we begin, um, for some of you who um, are certainly a part of this church and you have been attending 11.15, if there's any reason that you don't need to stay at this service, you can attend the Saturday night at 5 or the Sunday morning at 9. Let's just give you a welcome invitation to start doing that as of next week, all right? That would be great just because this service is always the most full and at this point we are out of room, all right? So if you can serve the Lord and, and honor the gospel by attending a different service than this one, uh, that would be greatly helpful if that's where you are, especially if you're really certain that this is your church and you're here and, and you're resolved to be here, then just attending a different service so we can spread it out as much as we can. That would be a great as well. We've always had that issue since our church began. Thank you, God, for these wonderful problems. So um, growing up as a kid, I wonder if you found yourself in this predicament as I did sometimes. Growing up as a kid, do you ever find yourself being asked to do something by your parents that you didn't want to do? Uh, yes, the answer is yes. Everyone who's ever been a kid, which is all of us on some level, either we have been or we are a kid, and so we get asked to do something uh, by our parents we don't want to do, and you find yourself, as you're asked to do it, you respond with the question, yeah, yeah, but mom, why? Why do I need to do that? Or dad, uh, why do I need to? And if you had uh, parents, at least if you had good parents, and they understood the role they had over your life, uh, their response uh, would have been, because I said so. All right? Because I said so. And listen, that's, that's the right response. I, I find myself, I heard that as a kid when I was growing up with my parents, and I hear myself saying that now as a parent within my home. Hey, hey, listen, son and daughters, as long as you're in this house and you're being fed and you're being clothed and you have shelter over your thing and everything you want to do is provided for you, as long as you're here, all right, all right, it's because I love you. It's because I said so, all right, all right. It's because I said so, because God has entrusted me with authority over this house as your dad, and I'm going to love you and care for you. And I'm going to nourish you, but listen, listen, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, uh, God's given me the authority in this home, and you in your love for God and love for your dad, you will submit to that, children. And in, again, again, at the end of the day, because I said so, not harsh, uh, not being brutal with that at all, but a proper use of authority that has been granted to a particular individual. Because I said so is a statement of final and complete authority. It's important because it's real. Some people say, well, that's arrogant. No, no, it's not arrogant to the person who has rightly been entrusted with that authority. It is perfectly true and right that that individual, given that authority, be able to say with love within that as well, because I said so. We begin a series today as a church where we are beautifully and powerfully reminded by God now, because I said so. Because I said so, relating to God and the authority, specifically the authority of his word. This is such a critical issue in our day. We must never forget, loved ones, never forget. In the end, in the end, there's only one authority that matters, his. In the end, we will stand before the God who will judge the living and the dead. Jesus Christ himself, the authority to grant life, the authority to take life away. Our eternities go in one of two places, heaven or hell. There is one making that decision. Always remember that. In the end, only one authority matters. His authority. And listen, listen. This God, this awesome God, has given us a book. Do you know, he's, he actually, he's, he's written a book. 
I mean, that's, that's pretty awesome. God has written a book and he's given it to us as our authority for our lives that we know how to live, that we know who to be, that we know how to be saved. And when God writes a book, listen, he writes a book that has no mistakes in it because God is incapable of making mistakes. And we learn today that all scripture is breathed out by God and it becomes our authority then for all matters of faith and practice, but everything it says is true and we can fully trust whatever we find in the living and the actual word of God as well. So this series is a very important one because we are in a culture right now that is quickly and powerfully uh, claiming its own authority over everything else. Our culture is dismissing any concept of a natural law of God above man, and that's all gone, and replacing it then with something, replacing it with an authority based on self, based on sin, based on what they believe, what the culture believes is total right and, and um, totally true. This tide is very strong. And we must be careful. That's why this series is in front of us right now. Because if we're not standing on the right foundation of God's word, then we get swept along with the tide. The cultural tide has a powerful undertow. And it takes you and pulls you down. And the dangerous part is many people are being swept along and they don't even realize it. Because it's subtle, but so powerful, but it, everyone's going in that direction. It's like, well, everyone's walking this way, so I should walk this way, right? Because it just seems so right. But you don't realize you're taken away from the Lord, taken away from his word, taken away from truth, taken away from glorifying God, taking away from thousands of years of orthodox, biblical Christianity, and you're being swept by this. We've got to be careful. And people get over here, and they're way apart from God. And how did I get here? Well, that's what the culture's doing. So what we do then is we say, wait, wait, time out, time out. We have to stand on that which we know to be true. And this is where the word of God becomes everything to Big C Church, to the church as a whole. It's the authority that is found in God's word that anchors us. And it concerns me to see all the anchors that are being pulled up and people then are being dangerously swept out into sea. Because this has been closed in their church or their life. Let me put it this way. As we start, a little bit of an introduction today, but we're getting into our main message too. This is what I want you to see right now. Where there's no authority, primarily today, God's word. Without authority, there's no maturity. If we don't know the authoritative word of God in our lives, we cannot grow. If we're not maturing, then there's no stability. There's, there's, there's chaos. So we start today and we say, I have to understand, we need God's authority if we want maturity because we want stability. This is why so much of our world is in chaos. This is why parts of the church are in chaos as well. No authority, you can't mature, no stability. Here's a verse to back this up, Ephesians 4 verse 14. The context in verse 13 is moving on towards maturity in Christ. Notice, now why? That we may no longer be children. Because what happens to children? They're tossed to and fro. You, you, you can tell my, I, I can tell my four-year-old anything and she'll basically believe me. Anything. You know? Why? Because she's a child. She doesn't know better. Christians who are in this place, they get tossed to and fro by every wave and wind of doctrine. And notice, notice, so, so with no authority and stability, you're just all over the place and no maturity. Notice, by human cunning. That's, that's, that's today. It's always been culture by craftiness and deceitful schemes. That's our culture today. It's clever. Satan's very smart. And he starts whipping people all over the place 
without authority, no maturity, and no stability. So we then, we say, no, 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 right now, we're standing on that which is most important, God's authority, because that is the authority that we can fully trust. So the heart of the elders within this series is that mature believers will be strengthened again in the authority of God's word and be resolved with greater fervency to pursue him and his truth. The heart of the elders is also this. It's to see new believers. Praise God, we have so many new believers through this church. And there's so many young people in the faith and, 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 and just kind of baby Christians. Awesome, that's the way it's supposed to be. But listen, so many people maybe in our church right now, they don't know what God's word says about God's word. And it's not their fault. They've never been taught. They're just children. But see, God wants to grow us up. Amazingly, in Ephesians 5, it says at verse 15, after every wave and wind of doctrine, speaking the truth in love, that we may grow up. You see, so it's the truth of God and the love of God and the truth in love where we grow up. So this series is designed maybe for you right now. And you're like, I just don't know. Bless your heart. Bless your heart. And I remember when I didn't know either. But when you do know and you're like, oh, awesome, and you feed on, on God and you find out what he believes about his word and how passionate, it just it gives you such satisfaction. It reinforces the strength that God wants to place in you and you have confidence and courage and such conviction of where you should be and what you should be doing. And lastly, the heart of the elders is, is for the Holy Spirit because I can convince no one, but the Holy Spirit can, convince unbelievers. And there are some here right now, for sure there are. As to the one true, eternal, and authoritative word of God that speaks of salvation and Jesus Christ by grace through faith. Such an important series because we're being pressured as much as ever to choose between God and culture. To choose, will I obey God or will I not obey God? Listen, loved ones, more than ever, we are being tempted in some form to stop and say to God, but why God? But why? At the end of the day, we're going to see through proper theology the only answer God needs to give is, because I said so. But we don't, we don't understand that phrase without a proper renewal of the mind and theology of God's word that causes us now to live by faith in submission to God's word. Let me just say this from the start too. This message today, without faith, goes nowhere. On some level, you need faith in Christ for the Holy Spirit to give you the ability to understand the things of the Spirit. But he can do that. But it needs faith 100%. Otherwise, it's, yeah, whatever. What a bunch of hogwash and da 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 whatever. And the person doesn't, that happens all the time. But by faith, as God is moving, we say, yes, this is right. This is true. God has said so. And I believe in him. This is also why in this series, the first pillar of our church is proclaiming the authority of God's word. Hope you know this if you're part of our church. First pillar. Proclaiming the authority. Not just proclaiming God's word. Proclaiming the authority of God's word, because that is our authority for anything that we're seeking to do for the Lord without apology. Proclaiming the authority of God's word without apology. That's where we're going. I'm pretty excited. Let me give you um, an outline of this series of where we're going again to help you understand. Here's an outline 
of where we're going in the next, Lord willing, five weeks in this series because I said so. Week number one today, um, a God-given authority. The Bible is a God-given authority. We're focusing on inspiration today and inerrancy primarily, okay? And so this is what we understand. All scripture's been breathed out by God. Week number two, I'm already excited about week number two, but I gotta do week number one first, all right? A time-tested authority, reliability. I love the verse. It says the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord... Yes, stands forever. Some of you need to brush up on that verse. It's a really good one, all right? It's really good. Um, Isaiah 40 and 1 Peter 2. It's so exciting, okay? So a time-tested authority. We're going to see the evidence for Scripture uh, within the Bible, evidence for Scripture outside the Bible next week too. Week number three, a life-changing authority. God's Word is sufficient. It is sufficient for salvation in Jesus Christ. Did you know that you cannot be saved apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ? In some form, in some way, you have to be confronted with the message, you're a sinner in need of a savior for the glory of God that's only found through Jesus Christ. The Bible, in its, in its purest form, is the gospel of Jesus. It is sufficient to take people from life, from death to life. We're going to find that out week number three. Excited for that. Week number four, very important. This Bible is a transcultural authority. It's superior. It doesn't matter what culture ends up doing or saying. The Bible transcends culture. And we're going to tackle a few key issues in our day right now, in this week, where regardless of what culture says, we have to stand with God. Because His authority, again, supersedes any form of any kind of cultural influence or authority. And the week number five, this is all Lord willing, of course, but week number five, uh, Thanksgiving, I'm excited about this. A non-negotiable authority. Uh, 2 Timothy 4, 2 primarily. Preach the word in season or out of season. This just in. The Bible's out of season, okay? It's out of season. All the more reason to get excited to preach it, okay? And this is what the Bible warns us. God warns us. It's going to be like this. Don't be surprised. It's going to be like this. People are going to want their ears tickled. They're going to gather themselves teachers that suit their own likings. He says, you preach the word. Non-negotiable authority. It's mandatory. Regards to people like it or not, we got to do it. Aren't we blessed, eh, just to be here right now and to see this place so filled with people who I pray are hungry for God's word in a time when so few are. But see, God always has his remnant, man. He always has his people he's working through. And we're gathered here right now in this series for a very important time and a very exciting series. And I'm praying it's going to be used in a great way. So just as we do this, let me say this to you. I mean, today, we've got a lot of content coming our way, okay, today. Like, today's a lot of content. This is, this is going to be um, a heavy message in a lot of ways. There's a lot of information coming. But I'm praying that God would supernaturally um, allow us to pay attention, have clear minds. This past week, my son Aiden went to youth group for the first time in our church. It's kind of a big deal for us. He came home and under Pastor Carl's ministry uh, now, he came home. Aiden, how'd it go? He's oh, it's really fun. I said, oh, wow, that's great. Why was it fun? He's like, what was your favorite part? He goes, oh, the message. The message was my favorite part. I go, oh, that's great. Why was the message your favorite part? Well, Dad, Carl preaches a lot shorter than you do, all right? <laughs> so, you know, I was like, hey, I get it. He, and he's kind of sensing, oh, no, I didn't mean it. No, 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 don't worry, buddy. I totally understand, you know. Okay, so today's, like, today's message and his first service was today, of course, and um, this is kind of a tough start for our youth and, and for all of us in some ways. There's a lot coming right now, okay? So, we're going to rely on God, though. Sharpen pencils, sitting up straight, and we believe, I believe the Holy Spirit can give us understanding. Do you? And it says, as Paul says to Timothy, think on these things. The Lord will give you understanding. So let me just pray. Whether you're, whether you're here or, or in, the, in, the, in the 
in the foyer or you're in family room. Um, Father, I pray in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, you will grant a supernatural ability to understand. I pray, Lord, you will captivate hearts and you will give hunger. And some people, Father, I pray, they will get certain parts and they're like, I want to know more. And you will lead them to know more this week. They will listen to the message again. They will find themselves in a place of learning and hunger. They will, they will use the resources we're providing for them outside of this series. And, um, and they will be so encouraged by you. But Lord, you have to do this. We can't do this. We, we join the psalmist and we say, oh God, open our eyes and we may behold the wondrous things of your law. And so would you do that now, Lord? Every morning I try to pray that prayer. And right now I pray together. We say, open our eyes that we may behold the wonderful and wondrous things of your law. Every person, young or old, doesn't matter, God, I pray. I pray right now in Jesus' name, amen, amen. All right, Lord, would you do that? Okay, so um, two main objects within this series, encouragement and equipping. Encourage you in the truth, encourage you and equip you with the truth. Speaking of equipping, on our website right now, listen carefully to this, you're gonna be blessed by this. We have what we're calling a, um, a Because I Said So resource page, okay? And this whole section of our website is dedicated to be a complement to the series. Because some of what you'll hear today, you're like, oh, I do want to know more about that. Where do I get it? This resource page. On this resource page, we're going to have videos. Not yet, but they'll come as the weeks go by. Videos that support what we're doing. We're going to have um, the top recommended books on this content that we would love for you to get. We have the quotes that we've been using through this. So you can, I love quotes. You can look at the quotes, be encouraged by them as well. We have Bible reading plans that are on there too. We have articles specifically linked that deal with the content we're dealing with that I can't get to necessarily within this message, but for you to go and to learn. We have, we have all these things that are there for you to help you grow. So God is going to spark some of you, and you take that, and you put down the remote, and, and put your phone away for a couple minutes, and stop talking to your friend for the fifth hour in a row, and just allow yourself to learn in the Lord just for a few moments and see what he does with that, okay? Because I said so, resource page is available to you um, as of right now. Here are two quotes that I want to begin with as well. Here's the first one from George Mueller, wetting our appetites if we need that still. Uh, Mueller said this, the vigor of our spiritual life will be in exact proportion to the place held by the Bible in our life and thoughts. Okay, so we're going to hear today, loved ones, if the word of God is not a part of your diet, you die. Okay? It's just that clear, okay? Man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God, right? It's just so important. The reason that we're so apathetic sometimes, we don't have God in our lives. Well, that's going to make a difference. And here's a quote from a guy you might have heard of. His name was Jesus. Um, he said this in a prayer to his father for the church. Father, sanctify them in the truth. Make them more like me, God. Set them apart in your truth. Why? Because, Lord, your father... Your word is truth. Your very word is truth. And I pray that we believe that uh, right now. So in this series, again, a lot coming at us, but attentive and ready. Now, for some of us, this message is going to be review. For some of us, it will be. Um, but for a lot of us, it's going to be new too. But that's what I love with God's word. With God's word, there's always something new in review. Amen? There's always something new in review. Point number one is this. Here we go, all right? Here we go. Students of the word. Point number one, a God-breathed authority, inspiration. We see that the Bible is a God-breathed authority, 
And this is called inspiration. So if your Bibles are not already open, and listen, if there's ever a time to have a Bible, it's now, okay? If you need a Bible, seats in front of you, there should be one, blue or black. You can take that and use it. Turn to 2 Timothy 3, um, 16. I want to let you know, too, there's nothing more encouraging for the pastor of this church to see people walking into church with their Bibles. I love that, okay? Because it's such a sign that you're expecting to be taught from God's Word. Some of you I see walk in without Bibles. I'll give you the benefit of the doubt that somehow you have an electronic Bible, which is certainly not as good as a paper Bible in my estimation, but I do not judge you, okay? I don't. I don't. Anyways, I'm hoping you have a copy of God's Word, some form, somehow in your life, as we're going to see without it, we're dead, okay? 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is breathed out by God, and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. Okay? This phrase right here is one of the most clear and best-known statements in Scripture regarding, listen, the origin of Scripture. The most powerful part, of course, is the first. Says Paul says, all Scripture is breathed out by God. The word breathed out there is the Greek word theopneustos. The only time it occurs in the New Testament. For many years and many translations, that word was translated inspired. All scripture is inspired by God. The problem with that is the original doesn't change, of course. The English meaning of certain words do change over time. And so inspired suggested in-breathing or God-breathing into. That doesn't fully convey what's being said here in 2 Timothy 3.16. The best translation then is God-breathed or breathed out by God. Because that is what God has done with His Word. Let me clarify. God did not breathe into the Scriptures. God did not breathe into the author's. Rather, God breathed out. He breathed out the Scriptures. So as Erwin Lutzer says, he says the Bible then, metaphorically speaking, is the breath, the breath of God. That's awesome. So God didn't just approve the Scriptures. He didn't say, okay, Paul, what'd you write down? Second, three, three, yeah, yeah, I like that one. That's good. Okay, I'm going to bless that. That's not what he did. And God also, God also, he, he didn't just approve it, but he breathed out. Out, meaning he's the full source of all Scripture. So when we talk about the doctrine of inspiration, what we mean is this. It's the very words of Scripture and all their meaning are God's very words. Here's a quote from Norm Geisler on inspiration. He said this, The inspiration of God then in his word extends to every part of Scripture including everything God affirmed or denied about any topic. Because all Scripture has been breathed out, all Scripture has been breathed out by God. It is inclusive of not only what the Bible teaches, I like this phrase, but what it touches. That is, he explains, that is to say, it includes not only what the Bible teaches explicitly, directly, but also what it teaches implicitly, indirectly, covering not only the spiritual matters, but factual ones as well. The, um, here's the bottom line. The omniscient God cannot be wrong about anything. 
He can't be wrong about anything that he teaches or he implies. Why? Because he's perfect. So if all scripture has been breathed out by God, every word and all its meaning has also then been inspired by God. Now let's make sure we understand, this is important, what the doctrine of inspiration is not. And John MacArthur was very helpful here, okay? Three things that the doctrine of inspiration is not. It is not a high-level human achievement, Okay, so the Bible is not like a human masterpiece, like some kind of painting that we would go and, 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 and look at and, and have all of the, of the masterful work of some person that was greatly gifted um, to do that. Okay, that's not what inspiration is. Think about it, think about it. No man could invent a person like Jesus Christ. I mean, no person could come up in his totality with a person like Jesus Christ. And what human author would ever write a book that essentially damns the whole human race apart from grace and faith in Jesus Christ? Okay? It's not high-level human achievement. Inspiration is also not this. It is not just the spiritual matters of the Bible. Some people say, no, well, inspiration, it's the spiritual matters, but all the technical stuff, scientific, geographical, historical, that's not inspired. That's not what inspiration is. The entire Bible is breathed out by God. Every word verbal and its meaning plenary. So we hear the phrase verbal plenary inspiration. Every word verbal and its meaning plenary. This is the doctrine of inspiration, okay? So inspiration is not just the spiritual matters, but then all the other details don't matter. Thirdly, it is not mechanical dictation, Meaning the authors were not robots where God gave them one word at a time in, in, the, the, beginning, beginning. God, that's not how that worked, right? We see the personalities of the authors come shining through in Scripture, which I love so much. They differ in style. They differ in vocabulary. For instance, in the New Testament, Luke was a doctor. You can tell by the way he writes. Paul was a lawyer. You can tell by the way he writes. Peter was a fisherman. You can tell also that he's coming from a different place than Luke and Paul. That's amazing. So within Scripture, here's a great term I've always loved. The Bible then is a theanthropic book. Theos, God. Anthropos, man. It's a theanthropic book. The Bible is both fully divine but also fully human as well. The primary cause of the Bible is God. The secondary cause of Scripture is man. But listen, all perfectly under the sovereignty, direction, and wisdom of God. This is the doctrine of inspiration. Now, some of you at this point say, well, I think a verse would be helpful right now. And I would say, I agree. Let's turn. 2 Peter chapter 1. Okay, let's all turn to 2 Peter chapter 1. Two main passages today which are essential as you go forward in Christ. 2 Timothy 3 and 2 Peter um, chapter 1. Okay, take a look at this um, right here. 2 Peter 1 verse 20. Verse 20, the sound of pages turning, music to a pastor's ears. Love it, love it, love it, okay? 2 Peter chapter 1 of verse 20. I want you all to get there. I'll just wait a couple seconds. 2 Peter chapter 1, right near the end of your New Testament. Chapter 1 verse 20 says, Knowing this first of all, Peter says, that no prophecy of Scripture, okay, 
No prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. Verse 21. For no prophecy, and we know prophecy of Scripture is the context of verse 20. For no prophecy of Scripture was ever produced by the will of man. That's pretty clear, isn't it? Was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Okay? So notice this. 2 Timothy 3.16 then is the nature of inspiration. All scripture is breathed out by God. That's the nature of inspiration. 2 Peter 1 then becomes the method of inspiration. So the nature is God breathed it out. The method is he carried along the authors by his Holy Spirit, guiding them uh, what to write down. I remember being um, um, a um, camper at a camp. And this is when I was newly saved. I wasn't in camp. I guess I was a leader, but I was one year in the faith. And I just was like asking my friends, and he, was, he knew a lot more of the Bible than me. So how did, how did the guys know what to write down? Like how did they recall these things? And this is the verse that tells us and explains us. The Holy Spirit carried them along as the method of inspiration. Um, carried along there is the same word used in Acts 27 for when a ship set its sails and then the wind comes and guides the ship along. That's what the authors did. They set their sails and the Holy Spirit comes and, and, and carries them, blows them along in the direction of God under his sovereignty and his direction. So Peter's view on inspiration is pretty clear. It's right in front of us. Uh, what about the rest of the Bible? Do you know that more than... 3,800 times in the Bible, we find a statement with such a ring, some kind of ring of this, uh, thus says the Lord. 3,800 times, the Lord has spoken. The words I speak to you are God's, thus says the Lord. The Old Testament repeatedly, over hundreds of times, claims to be the very word of God. What about um, people like Paul? Paul wrote 13 books of the New Testament. So, how did he view Scripture and its inspiration? Well, we've seen one already today on the screen for you again. We've said this many times already. This is Paul inspired by God to write, all Scripture is breathed out by God. That's pretty clear how Paul views that. Here's another thing that Paul said to the church in Thessalonica. He said in 1 Thessalonians 2, he says, And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, notice, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what I love, what it really is, the word of God. So Paul totally understood, I'm speaking that which is not of man, it is supernatural, it is of God, which is at work in you believers. So we have Peter's view, we have the Old Testament and how the claims for God's word, we have Paul's view. The question I would ask right now though is, well, how did Jesus view scripture? And what did he think about the word of God? And what I'm about to teach you right now Many of you have probably never heard before, which is, I'm not sure why that is, but it's so important to understand the view of Jesus himself of Scripture. And I hope that this will bring many light bulbs to you. I borrow this from Norm Geiser, so helpful. When I first saw this, I was so encouraged. So there's seven things that we can categorize of how Jesus viewed Scripture. Here's the first one right here from the Gospels, okay? So first of all, Jesus affirmed the divine authority of the word of God. How did he do that? In Matthew 4, when he's tempted by Satan in the desert, in the, in the wilderness, three times he says, it is written, okay? So against the temptation of Satan himself, 
Jesus holds up God's word as the highest authority to combat the evil temptation of Satan himself. And here's what Jesus said in the first test. He says, man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. It is written. Again, I've said it. I'll say it again. Loved ones. If your diet does not include the word of God, you will die. Okay? Like, there's just, there, is, there isn't any exceptions. Spiritually speaking, man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus is asserting and affirming the divine authority of Scripture right then and there. We need to learn from his perspective and grow in this. Here's the second one we find out. Jesus affirmed its imperishability. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, I have not, referring to the Old Testament, I have not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it, he says. And until heaven and earth pass away, Jesus says, this is awesome, not one iota or even a dot will be removed from the law until all is accomplished. When Jesus says that, listen, he says not one iota. Iota is the smallest letter in the Greek alphabet, referring back to the smallest letter in the Hebrew alphabet. When he says dot or tittle in some translations, a dot is our equivalent of the I that dots a small I in in, in the English language. Or you can put it this way, the difference between a capital E and a capital, it's pretty hard to hear, and capital F, all right, that little stroke at the bottom that differentiates a capital E, he says not one of those, not even one of those will pass away until all is accomplished. He's affirming that the word of God is imperishable, totally under the guidance and sovereignty of God. I love that so much. Here's the next thing Jesus affirms. He affirms or asserts here the infallibility or unbreakability of Scripture, In John 10, he's quoting a scripture, and he adds this, and scripture cannot be broken. Love it. And scripture cannot be broken. I saw a person wearing a a t-shirt with this on it recently. Sweet t-shirt, man. That's sweet. Scripture cannot be broken, you know? And I love the quote that says, um, the Bible will always rise up to outlive its pallbearers. I love that. Do you know how many people have tried to and they're just saying that the Bible's done, it's dead, and what happens is they die. But the word of the Lord continues. Again, it's been century after century, generation after generation, man. The word of God cannot be broken. It lasts forever. Be encouraged by that, loved ones. We don't, we don't need to guess about that. We have hundreds of years of proof. The fire fades, the grass withers, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Here's the next thing that Jesus affirmed here. He declared the ultimate supremacy of Scripture. Okay, So in Matthew 15, Jesus talking to the religious leaders, they're all fired up about their traditions. Our traditions. And he says, you've held to the traditions of man, breaking the commandments of God. And then a few verses later, he says, you've placed the traditions of man so high, you have caused the word of God to become void. His point is, you can't do that. Traditions of men can never supersede the authority of God's word. It's always the authority of the word of God that overcomes, that supersedes any tradition of men. Let me say this respectfully, but truthfully. There are large portions of the Catholic church today that have traditions higher than God's word. Okay? That's just wrong. There's no way. You can't find certain teachings of that section that align with Scripture or even found in Scripture. 
The Word of God always must be the highest authority. That's when we get into so much trouble. And there's always temptations within the church as a whole to take traditions and make them what we really love as opposed to being obedient to what God's Word has said on that specific issue. It's ultimate supremacy. Here's the next thing that Jesus affirmed. He affirmed its factual inerrancy. Father, sanctify them in the truth. Your word, it's true. It's, it's all true. It's all fact. Your word is entirely true, Jesus says. Next one. Jesus did this. He insisted on its historical reliability. I've always loved this. I've taught you this before, but in Matthew 12, the two disputed most stories in the Bible, Jonah and Noah, okay? Jonah and the whale, Noah and the ark. Of course, what Jesus does, he insists historical reliability in Matthew 12 with Jonah, and then in Matthew 19 or Matthew 24 with the story of Noah and the ark. I love that. Love that. Last one, this. Jesus, here's his view on scripture. He affirmed its scientific accuracy. In Mark 13, Jesus affirms the creation of the world by God. And then in Matthew 19, he affirms the creation of Adam and Eve as being historical, actual people, the people who began the human race, okay? So Jesus was not shy about truth, and neither should we be either. He's pretty fired up about the word of God. Now remember, loved ones, why is this teaching and doctrine so important? Because it changes how we look at this book, at least it should. The Bible's not just a, a nice read or uh, some kind of to-do list. Listen, listen. Fundamentally, at its core, the Bible has been breathed out by God. What's my recommendation? My recommendation is you breathe some of it in. Breathe as much of it in as you can. Like, like, why do I teach the Bible? This, this is the reason. This is why we're here. This is, this is, this is what we do. Because without this, we're done. Right? Like, what else is there to say? And so this is why we go over this doctrine to understand where we're supposed to be. So that was point number one. Here's point number two now. It's this, um, a completely true authority. Let's talk specifically now about inerrancy, okay? Inerrancy. A few words that we've said here today have been inspiration, infallibility, and inerrancy, okay? That can be very confusing. Let's get them on the screen here so we can separate them and have a visual for us right now of these three words, okay? These are simple but concise definitions here. Inspiration, we've learned, uh, breathed out, but God's word's breathed out by God. Infallibility, coming when it comes to God's word, is having divine authority, this is important, or it's completely trustworthy, Okay? The Bible, to be infallible, completely trustworthy. So inspiration, infallibility, and then inerrancy. Inerrancy is that which is obviously without error. That which is holy and completely true. These are the definitions. These are the terms that we are learning about right now. We want to focus specifically then on inerrancy. And inerrancy defined by James Cottrell, uh, he said it this way. He said, it means without error, inerrancy, um, without mistake, without contradiction or falsehood. Inerrancy means true, reliable, trustworthy, accurate, and infallible. To say that the Bible is inerrant means that it's absolutely true and trustworthy in everything that it asserts, and it is totally uh, without error. This is such an important truth, and we're going to find out why right now. Okay? 
So again, a lot of information right now. Let me try to break it down to us all in a simple format. Let's call it Bible math or Bible logic, okay? The logic of God's Word. Here's a system, a statement of logic about what we're learning. Here's the first statement of truth. The Bible is God's Word. 2 Timothy 3. All Scripture breathed out by God. How much? All. All Scripture. The entire Bible is the Word of God, okay? Here's the second statement of logic. God cannot err. That is true. How do we know that? Titus 1, Hebrews 6, God is perfect. God is holy. God is incapable of ever making any mistake ever. Okay? So, statement number one, the Bible is God's word. That being true, and it is, and God cannot err, that being true, that it is. If this is true, and that is true, well, therefore, then this must be true also. Therefore, the Bible does not err. Because these two things being true automatically enforces and guarantees that this is also true right there. The Bible is God's word. God can't make a mistake. Therefore, if God wrote the word, then the Bible has no mistakes in it. The Bible as God wrote it is without error. Furthermore, we learned how Jesus views Scripture. And so if you say the Bible has errors, then you're calling Jesus a liar. And I don't want to be that person. Now let's get some clarifications just pause here for a second because I'm probably overwhelming some of you, okay? But remember, remember, as you listen to this, you can listen to it again online. You can go back and listen to it. I just encourage you to be a student of the Word. Uh, 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. Listen, listen, listen. A worker, not a lazier, made up a word, okay? Not a couch potatoer, another word made up, Okay? A worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly, listen, listen, rightly handling the word of truth. You know what it tells me? A lot of people standing before God at the end. And they will have accomplished so little in his truth because they were lazy, they didn't pay attention, they were too busy texting and whatever they were doing and, and the things of the world. And they'll stand before God and he's like, how come you didn't use my book? He's like, I wrote a book, man. He won't say it like that probably, but he'll be like, I wrote a book. I wrote a book. Didn't you read it? I gave it to you. Yeah, I had like four copies in my house. They all collecting dust. He's like, well, I, it was my book. Like, it was everything you needed for this life. You didn't read it? And you'd be like, oh, man. He's, we have a chance right now to understand. Listen, so Paul says to me, do your best. It's supposed to be hard. It's supposed to be hard work, okay? You understand that? Learning that it's supposed to be, you're supposed to study. It's amazing how much effort and work we'll put into university lectures, 90 minutes of nothing, eternally, okay? And, and, and here we are in this place, the most important truth ever resulting in eternal life based on the most powerful truth ever and we can yawn ourselves away. No way, no way. You're not doing that now. I'm seeing attention all over the place all weekend. Praise God. Answered prayer. It says so much about your hearts and how much you love the Lord and how much I love you for it. But the whole point is it's supposed to be tough and so we, 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 do, we do our best because I don't want to be ashamed. Rightly handling the word of truth. Now, let's get some clarifications on inerrancy. This is important, okay? So clarification number one is this. Some people argue that inerrancy does not appear in the Bible. Okay? Now, that is true technically. The word inerrancy does not appear in the Bible, but always be careful when people have this line of reasoning because the word trinity doesn't appear in the Bible either, okay? Neither does substitutionary atonement. I love this. Even the word Bible doesn't appear in the Bible 
anywhere. Not once. Did you know that? Not once, okay? So we're not throwing those things out just because the word uh, isn't there. Others argue, well, this doctrine is not explicitly taught in Scripture, okay? It may not be formally taught in Scripture, but again, the doctrine of the Trinity isn't either. And few people are willing to throw that one out, okay? The logic we opened up with, the proof of God's word is an errant. It has to be. God's word is God's word, and God doesn't make mistakes, okay? Clarification number one. Clarification number two. Inerrancy does not require 21st century precision or scientifically technical language. What we mean by that is, when we're listening to the weather person on TV, and they say, tomorrow morning the sun will rise at 7.27 a.m., we're not like, oh man, a person's so primitive. Don't they know the earth revolves around the sun? Here they are talking about the sun rising. Wow, I can't trust a word they say. They are completely out. We don't do that to them. Let's not do that with the Bible either. The Bible has the freedom to operate in human language among the authors that they have where we know what they meant and not requiring the precision we wouldn't even place upon ourselves. Here's another example. This is, you ask a person, hey, how far is your house from here? And the person says 10 kilometers. And you say, aha, no, no, I checked it on Google. And you are 9.47 kilometers away. You are a liar and I cannot trust you ever again, right? Well, we don't do that. We don't, we don't do that because the person is trying to help us with a statement that is general that points to the truth of what is being answered by the question. One more example. Someone recently asked me, oh, Robbie, how old are you? And I said, um, I said 23. And then, why are you laughing? Hey? Wow, man. Well, no, I said, I said 41. I said 41. I said 41, right? And, uh, and but actually, actually, at that point, I was 41, 11 days, uh, five months, oh, no, 11 days, five days, and then 45 uh, hours and 42 seconds, 43 seconds. And, you know, so I wasn't necessarily telling the truth. It doesn't accuse me of being a liar. And so we don't, we don't demand the same things within God's word that we don't demand of ourselves in these ways. We give freedom of the language of the authors that they were using. That's clarification number two. Here's clarification number three. Um, inerrancy does not mean, this is very important. Listen, listen, listen. Inerrancy does not mean that copies of the original manuscripts are without error. Say that again, okay? Inerrancy does not mean that copies of original manuscripts are without error. So copies made from originals are only inerrant to the extent that they are copied properly. God is not responsible for errors made by man in subsequent copies. Okay? But the accusation now is made, well, if we don't have the originals, then how do we know what we got? But that allegation is empty. Just because we don't possess the original autographs, the original manuscripts, doesn't mean we don't have the uh, original text. I also think, too, if we, can you imagine if we actually had the original autographs? Can you imagine how worshipped they would be? I mean, we turn everything into idolatry. Can you imagine the shrine set up for the original? I mean, people would worship, for 100%, they'd worship that over Jesus. I've been to Israel, man. They're worshiping everything they, they get their hands on, anything physical. I mean, this is the stone that Jesus laid on. They're kissing things and rubbing it on and some kind of magic genie thing. What are you doing, you know, right? Because that's, that, 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 that's, that's what humans do. They're just this heart uh, factory of, of, of idols. I think that God spared us from that by not allowing us to have the originals. But listen, listen, I'm getting off track now, okay? But, but what we're learning here is, again, just because we don't possess the originals doesn't mean we don't have the original text. We have the original text preserved in copies of the original. People say, but how do you know? How do you know? Norm Geisler puts it this way. 
the nearly 5,700 New Testament manuscripts we possess contain all or nearly all of the original text. And we can reconstruct the original text with over, listen, 99% accuracy. By the way, next week we have a whole bunch more on this specific issue. Excited about that. You should be excited about it too. Here's what Andy Nacelli says. Okay, so 99% we can reconstruct with tremendous accuracy. Andy Nacelli says most of the remaining 1% that is questionable is about trivial matters like spelling differences and synonyms. And listen, listen, only 1% of that 1%. Okay, so now we're talking 0.01%. 1% of the 1% that is questionable actually affects the text's meaning to some degree and it affects no major doctrines whatsoever. So in other words, 99.99% of the Bible, the original Bible, we know we have the other 0.01% affects no major doctrines of any kind. We also must understand this. Understand the difference between the text and the truth. You can have 100% of the truth without having 100% of the text, okay? Let me give you an extreme example on the screen here, okay? And the reason this is an extreme example is this statement is 11% in error. Watch out. You cannot trust it at all. There's no way you're getting the truth. It's 11% in error. The Bible, 0.01% is in question, okay? This thing, 11%. But you can see, though, even though we're missing 11% of the content, we can still gain the full truth from what, just in case you're wondering, summer is almost over, okay? Just in case you understand <laughs> We can still get the full content of the truth that's within the text. And so many cases in God's word, the 0.01% that we don't have is exactly like that. It's just a a letter or, or whatever. And you can fully insert what you know the truth is by comparing, again, the other copies that we have of the manuscript. So much reason and so much confidence in the truth. One more example of this. Let's say in Canada we lost the Charter of Rights, right? A very important document to our nation. For some reason, the original copy was lost, stolen, burned, whatever, right? Well, because of all the other copies we have, the Charter of Rights, we could always guarantee 100% that we have the full content of the originals. And this is what's happened as God has preserved his word in the place that we have it today and copied accurately containing 100% of the truth from the original. Some people right now say inerrancy. Well, what about the contradictions? What about the supposed contradictions in the Bible? When someone asks, what about the, the Bible contradictions? Where? Can you tell me where? Like, uh, uh, most of them don't even have a clue what they're saying. They just heard it somewhere, and so they say it. Some might have it, because there are some difficulties in Scripture. On our Because I Said So uh, resource page, there's an article right there linked to a whole um, article on Bible difficulties and examples of people make allegations. Read it. Go research. It's really exciting. And you can find out the answers to your questions, right? And some are, a little, some are super simple. Some are a little more difficult. The answers are there. I've always been so encouraged as I take the time to research and find out the accusations that are made always unfounded in the end. All right? So inerrancy, it brings such confidence to us in the Bible to a believer. So thankful for that. And one of the things as you go through inerrancy, let's, let's just imagine you couldn't hold to inerrancy. Think of the despair that would set in resulting as you, because you kind of, you take God's word, and if you don't believe God's word is fully true, well then you're like, 
so which part again should I believe? And, and who's deciding which, which part's in and who isn't? Some guy over here, some, some sinful man is telling me which parts God really meant to include and which parts he didn't really? Really? I mean, that, that gets scary to me, right? And the, and the despair, because eventually, like, well, can I believe anything? Like, is anything true here? Like, what do I follow? What do I do? And that's why this doctrine is so utterly critical. A few quotes that we'll uh, produce in a moment here just to produce that. But when we see the foundation of God's truth, we, it takes us to point number three, which is this. It's, it's a conviction-producing authority, which, of course, leads to confidence um, as well. We're in 2 Peter 1, and we're going to uh, stay there. Look at 2 Peter 1, verse 19, okay? The context, I love this passage, the context of this is Peter is recounting the transfiguration of Christ. That's Peter on the mount, James and John and Peter, and there they are, and Jesus is transfigured. He becomes as white, just the powerful glory, as, 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 as the Father just honors his son, and, and Moses and Elijah appear, and, and Peter freaks out, should I build some houses and stuff? But he's watching Jesus in his incredible transfigured state. And Peter takes that experience... And he recalls it, but this is what he says in contrast in verse 19 to the transfiguration of Christ. He says, verse 19, and we have something more sure. Really? That's incredible. More sure than the experience of the transfiguration. Notice, what is it? The prophetic word. We have something more sure. The prophetic word to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, okay? So Peter's experience of the transfiguration was incredible. But here's what's more incredible, really is. It's really amazing and more sure. He says this. He says the prophetic word is more sure than his experience of Christ. Being transfigured is what he's saying. Learn here from this verse then, okay? Ready? Very important. The prophetic word is more sure than any personal religious experience that we can have. Even again, even Peter's experience of the transfiguration. So what happens here is people often take a religious experience they've had and the feelings that they get and they take that now as a higher authority and it overcomes God's word because the way they feel, what God really meant to say then was and what I really think is the truth on this and they take their experience and it replaces what God's word says. Well, that obviously can never be. Our true experiences in Christ will never disagree with God's word if they're real. If they're real. So over 10 plus years of ministry here, I've had half a dozen times people come up to me in one day or another and they said to me, Robbie, I believe I know when Jesus is returning. I really. And I try to be respectful as I can, but I'm just like, well, I know God's word. Jesus says I don't know when, when, when the time is. And so God's word's clearly stating no one knows the day or the hour. The person comes up and says, well, no, I know. Really? Like, again, all due respect. Like, I just, I'm just, but just what I know right there is, well, obviously you're wrong and the Bible's right. This is my authority just because, well, God told me if he told you, it will not contradict what's said in the word of God, okay? This is also why certain books are written all the time. Let's say a fiction novel that's written and it, deals with like a, a shed in a backyard or something like that, you know? And, um, 
and it comes off and it paints God as a form of Aunt Jemima. And then the Holy Spirit's like some like Asian a guy and stuff like that. What is that all about? What is it's not in the word. It has no bearings at all to scripture. It's a religion. And people, people flock to the fiction novel and count it as more truth than the word of God. Really? Like that to me is like I just like just like what are we? But see, the problem is if you don't know God's word. Then you read a fiction novel and you're like, oh, that sounds so great. I wish that was true. Yes, that's what I've been looking for. Because you don't have the ability to serve, Hebrews 5, discern between good and evil, right and wrong. Because you're still a child and a child will believe anything. It's so sad. The ability to say, wait a second, no, 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 no. It might be a nice message within a certain thing that's written, but I'm not taking that as, as scripture. Religious experiences can never overcome the authority that is presented in God's word. See what Peter says about this? He says, which, look, at, look at verse 19, which you will do well to pay attention to. Hold, on, hold it, loved ones. Cling to it. Be convinced of it. Love it. Love him. He says here, notice, notice, as a lamp shining in a dark place. Okay, look right here, look right here, look right here. Ready, ready? If you close the word of God, you turn off the lights. Did you got that? Cling to it as a lamp shining. You ever been in a dark place? You need a light. It, it, is, it is scary. Try to walk around in a dark place. You gotta hear that. Hey, hey, men, you close the book on your marriage, you close, you, you turn off the lights, okay? Women, you close the book in your life, try to raise your kids, you're turning off the lights, all right? Leaders in the church, you close the book, you turn off the lights. Trying to get through it, just any form of closing the book, you are turning off the lights, and you, no wonder people are smashing into all sorts of things all over this world and in the church because they're not being guided by the word of God. He's telling us what to do. He's making it so clear. Cling to it. How long, how long, how long? Verse 19, notice. How long? Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. What's that? The return of Jesus Christ. Until Jesus Christ rises in our heart. I love it. We cling to the authority of God all the way until Christ returns. Again, loved ones, look right here. This book is not a fad, okay? It's not a fad, okay? Culture is. Culture comes and goes, man. It always has. This book is not a We cling to this regardless, regardless of what's happening around us because this is what lasts forever. And when we understand the truth of God's word, what happens? There's conviction that grows. When the conviction grows then our confidence grows. And when there's conviction and confidence, then there's courage. And that's what we need today. We need courage based on confidence, based on the conviction that we have the very word of God in our hands and he is unstoppable and he is awesome and he is using it uh, right now. Let me end this message with a couple of quotes that tie all of this together, okay? I love your attention today couple of more minutes. Listen to these. All these quotes are online too, just so you know. But listen to what James Boyce says. I was blessed by these. I pray you will be too. Okay? Lord, help us. Ready? A person's relationship to Jesus Christ is of the highest importance. No Christian would ever want to dispute that. We say amen to that. But Boyce says this, but how do you know Jesus except as he is presented to you in the Bible? If the Bible is not God's word and does not present a picture of Jesus Christ that can be trusted, then how do Fantastic question. How do you know it is the true Christ that you are following? You may be worshiping a Christ of your own imagination. Okay? So let's stop there for a second. I love that. So people say, forget the doctrine. Let's just be like Jesus. My question is, which Jesus? Your version of Jesus? Someone else's version of Jesus? 
or God's version of Jesus? How do you know you're following Jesus with the statement that you just made? Well, I just feel it's right. Based on what? Based on how I feel. I don't want to listen to how you feel. I want to know what God said. And so you can't truly follow. Let's all be like Jesus. There's no way of being like Jesus without the book. The book reveals who Jesus is. You see how that argument just breaks down. So Boyce continues. He says, A relationship to Jesus is not merely a question of believing on him as one's Savior. He is also Lord, and this means he is the one who is to instruct you as to how you should live and what you should believe. How can he do that apart from inerrant Scripture? If you sit in judgment on Scripture, Jesus is not really exercising his lordship in your life. He's merely giving advice which you consider yourself free to either disobey, believe, or judge an error. At that point, listen carefully, you actually become the Lord of your life because you have become God. Here's what John Montgomery says. The inerrancy of Holy Scripture is the watershed theological issue in the church today, as it has been in every generation since the rise of modern secularism and rationalistic biblical criticism. Listen to this, he says this. Every single denomination, theological seminary, and Christian college that has departed from inerrancy has begun an unstoppable decline and loss of biblical witness. The saving gospel itself cannot be sustained apart from a trustworthy scripture. Any other position displays appalling naivete and ignorance of the history of the modern church in both Europe and in America. Last quote, Paige Patterson. He says this, The inerrancy of scripture is an essential and not optional doctrine for the church. Listen, listen, listen. Otherwise, we are cast on a raging sea of subjectivism I love how he puts this, with a high priesthood of scholars who assume the position of God telling us what we should and should not believe. Do you see that? So if God, if God's word is not true fully, then someone else has to decide which parts are. Who? A high priesthood of scholars that rise above to become God over the lives of all the people then that are following? I'm not following that guy, man. No way. I'm following him. And he wrote a book. All right? And he wrote a book. And listen, listen, listen. Because he said so. At the end of the day, when we believe this, when we believe this, it's because he said, we stand on the word of God. We stand on the word of God. Why? 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 Again, when it's all settled. Because God, God says, because I said so. Because I said so. And that's where the freedom sets in. And it takes faith. But we see we're so encouraged. God help us and encourage us. Let's pray right now. Let's pray. Father, I do pray we are so encouraged in this moment. Men does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Lord, I pray we'd understand as Jesus prayed, sanctify them in your truth, O God, for your word is truth. Lord, I pray right now we are filled with faith that all scripture is breathed out by God, Lord, that no prophecy of man comes from his own desire or will, but they were all carried along by the Holy Spirit, O God, as you decided what would be said and through whom it would be said. Lord, help us to believe that every word of God proves true, that the word of God is living and active, O God, that we would take this and find ourselves competent 
anointed and equipped for every good work, that we would preach the word, whether in season or out, Lord, without apology, trusting in you, honoring you, doing it lovingly, doing it humbly, Lord, but doing it, I pray. Oh God, would you build this in us? Would you encourage this in us? Would you see men, women, and children, Lord, more than ever? I pray for people who are desiring to learn right now. They're, they're fired up, and they're like, I want to learn more. Take them, Lord, to that resource page to learn. Take them to your word to learn more. Take them to places of growth. Yes, God, may it be so, I pray. In the name of Jesus, uh, amen.